Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. Good morning, everyone. You still with us? Good. That was great, Ken. Thank you very much. And before you and Roz uh, disappear, we'll make a a bit of a fuss over you. Is that all right? Roz is saying no. Ken's saying no. I'm just going to totally ignore you. And we'll make a bit of a fuss over you and say thank you for being with us. That's fantastic. Hey, we're we're starting a new series called uh, Essence. And it's going to last three weeks. And some of you may think, I've heard that, that word before. And about 18 months ago, we did a little short series called uh, essence. I'm going to uh, tell you more about that uh, later. Does anyone ever get lost? Uh, your mind just drifts off during a service. Anyone? Does that happen to any of you? It's all right. You're allowed to admit it. I'm not going to pick on you or anything because it happens to me, right? Happens to me in the middle of my own sermons sometimes. <laughs> uh, most preachers will tell you that that can be an occurrence. You're looking at it and you've you've stared at the thing that you've prepped so often. You know, you've crafted it out, and you've written it down, your second draft, third draft, all this kind of thing. And you've seen it so many times. And then you come up and you, you preach and you're just looking at it again and you find yourself halfway through. And, and in your head, you're somewhere else. You're, almost, it's, you're shocked. You think, who are all these people looking at me? And uh, that kind of thing happens. And earlier, as the video notices were on, I found myself just wandering off and thinking, I wonder whether Jesus ever did anything like this. Right. I don't know if you've ever thought anything like that, but my mind does it. Whether Jesus had in his gatherings with his 8,000 people up a hillside or anything, whether he started off with James and John leading worship on their kind of ten-stringed lyre or the zither or something like that, you know, and then Peter got up as the MC, as the host, and said, let's just give it up for James and John. Didn't they do really well this morning? That kind of stuff. And then before Jesus got up to do the Beatitudes... Uh, it was like the video notices. They didn't have videos then. It would have been like Thomas coming up with some scroll with some big words on it. This is what Jesus is doing next week. And then just moving the different cards thrown away. I, I mean, I'm sure that kind of thing happened because Jesus must have had an itinerary. Dan's looking at me and going, no, not at all, Russ. I've checked the Greek. That did not happen at all. Anyway, I just wanted to be honest and let you know sometimes it's okay if the pastor drifts off in during a meeting, you're allowed to. Uh, let me start this, uh, this morning in a slightly different way. So if I go over here and I were to choose an A note... Uh, on a piano, it, it sounds something something like this. Mm. Can you hum that? No point of you humming it at all. I'm just checking how good at pitching you are. Now, that's an A note, and it sounds reasonably nice. We know the piano sounds reasonably nice. You play an A there, and it sounds like that. You could, you could be in a totally different country, the other side of the world, and find an instrument, something like a piano, and bash an A out, and it would sound something like that. When you sang the A, it sounded like an A, and it was quite pleasant, and one or two of you, not so much, but it was largely, it was largely pleasant. And everyone around the world, if we said, what does an A sound like, and, and they would say, that's what an A 
sounds like and we know exactly what it looks like on the piano or if you're a guitarist you know what that sounds like and we pluck an A and it's quite pleasing to the ear but here's the problem what you were listening to then wasn't an A now I didn't trick you we actually played an A and you sang an A but you weren't listening to an A you were listening to an A with an E added and another A and then a C sharp and then an E and then an F sharp and a G sharp and a B and then underneath that you listen to some other notes and there we're not conscious of them. It's called the harmonic series and they're classed as overtones, overtones and undertones, okay, overtones and undertones. And, and so when you think you're singing an A or playing an A on any instrument, and you, by the time it reaches your ears, you're not listening to a pure naked A. You're listening to at least to the human ear, 20 other notes going along with it. Now, it's all unconscious. You don't think, oh, wonderful, that's a wonderful A, E, C sharp, F sharp, G sharp, that's just being played there. You think it's just an just an A, but it isn't. We have no conscious awareness because these other harmonics, we call them, are hidden from our human perception. We just don't think about them every day because it's not worth thinking about them every day. It would mess with our heads, right? Even as you're hearing me speak and you think, oh, Russ speaks with certain notes, those notes aren't just what you're hearing. You're hearing lots of other things along with it. Now, is there a way to hear what a pure A sounds like? A pure naked A without any of these other harmonic series or overtones and undertones sounds like? There is. And you'll all have heard it before in different scenarios. And so we're, we're going to play an A for you now. It's not very pleasant. Without the harmonic series and without overtones, a pure naked A is not pleasant. Okay, and it sounds, sounds something like this. That's it. Aren't you glad that stopped early? See, that's, that's called a, a pure sine wave. And all the other harmonics over it and under it have been stripped away. All the other overtones and undertones, they're taken away. It's a pure naked A. Uh, you might have heard sounds like that. People use sine waves in alarms or, or when a TV program has finished broadcasting late at night and all that kind of thing. You hear those kind of sounds. Or the BBC bleeps just before the news. They use sine waves just to grab your attention because it's flipping annoying, right? Let me tell you, a pure naked note is annoying without all the other hidden stuff that goes on around it being sounded. Now, um, I wanted to start with that because we're going to come back to it right at the end. But let me move on now. You can sort of park that in your short stay car park of your, your mind. We're in a series called Essence. And it's called Essence because uh, we're talking a little bit about the flavor, the, the aroma, a bit about the culture of new life. The kind of things that go unsaid, uh, not doctrines, not 
particularly beliefs, not, not dogma that we talk about, but just things that make up the, the aroma of new life. Um, my house during winter has got an aroma. Now, Sarah and I don't notice it anymore, but people who come to the door, particularly people like Dave Woolridge, who is callous and unkind and a hard-hearted soul, if he <laughs> were coming to our door, his first thought wouldn't be, oh, it's lovely to see you, Russ. His first thought would be, wet dog. That's what his first thought would be, because during winter, isn't that right, Dave? Very true. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> during winter, if you have a dog and you look after the dog and take it for walks, you as the owner think, mm, our house is so lovely. But anyone else thinks, wet dog. They've got a wet dog. Everything smells of wet dog, right? Now, Sarah and I don't notice it because we've become accustomed to it. But let me tell you, any of you who own pets, during winter, your house stinks. That's just the way it is, right? Speak for yourselves, they say. Yeah, okay. So... Um, you walk in and you can't help it. There's an aroma. There's an essence. And if you like, that's what we're talking about in this series. It's kind of the untalked about essences, flavors, aromas of a new life. Things, things that are just there. And when we did a, a, a mini-series called Essence 18 months ago, I, I highlighted three, three things. And the first thing was this, uh, that new life is a church... Uh, that deals with faith and not fairy tales. Deals with faith and not fairy tales. Now, this would be the usual time in a talk where I would give a summary of that talk, but I'm not going to bother, okay? You can check it out on podcast, and I'll tell you where uh, later. Uh, and then we moved on. We talked, it was an interesting message. We talked about Jesus, not God. Jesus, not God. And that sounds quite contentious. And we weren't at all talking about don't believe in God, just believe in Jesus. We were talking about that it pleased the Godhead to push Jesus center stage as the way that God expressed himself to us and why that's important for us as a, as a church. And then we moved on and talked about uh, compass, not clock. Compass, not clock. There is never any rush to growing in your maturity with Jesus. Never any rush. The important thing is to walk in the right direction. And sometimes when you rush, you go in the wrong direction. The important thing is the, is the direction that you're walking and, and growing in. And they were three of the essences that we, we talked about that sort of hang around the atmosphere of new life. They sort of filter through what we do and what we say and how we preach and and how we behave. And if you do want to know more about those, then uh, you can get access to the podcast and newlifechurch.uk forward slash podcasts, or if you're one of the people who use podcast apps, just search New Life Talks and scroll back to 18 months ago and you'll be able to find those talks. Today, um, the title of, of the message is this, Uncertain but Not Unfaithful uncertain but not unfaithful. I'm going to suggest to you that that is one of the essences of new life. But be, before we move on, um, let's read together a little bit from Scripture, from a very famous passage, and then we'll pray. So, First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. This is a famous passage because so many people, Christians and non-Christians, will have this Bible reading during their wedding services. 
because it's famous as the chapter on love. Uh, and so they will read maybe the, the passage before this um, during wedding services. But here we go. I wonder if you could read it along with me. There are going to be two screens worth of this. Here we go. Let's give it a go. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there is speaking in tongues, it will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we do these things in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught, thought, and reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things behind me. For now we see only dimly through a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am already fully known. Let's just pray. Why don't you pop your hand somewhere near your heart? Father God, we thank you for blessing us with the wisdom through your Bible. And uh, we thank you for it. We thank you that we can access it and catch something of your heart and your wisdom. Jesus, we thank you for showing your grace and your mercy towards us and rescuing us. And the Holy Spirit, we thank you. You're present here with us, making things very real, able to touch our heart and the deeper things of our life. We pray that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to obey. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, I've spent over the years a lot of time um, with some churches in Slovenia and uh, one of my friends over there who leads a church in the capital is called Chris Scobie and he loves really, really strong coffee, coffee that you can stand a spoon up in. Uh, I remember one day he took me to a, a Croatian coffee bar um, quite near where his church is in Ljubljana in Slovenia and we, and we sat down on the street having this Croatian coffee and uh, a person walked by on the other end of the road, and Chris acknowledged him, and the fellow acknowledged him back. He was called Yerne, Yerne, J-E-R-N-E. And they acknowledged each other, and uh, we, Chris and I carried on chatting. But I was watching this fellow, because he was quite an interesting chap. He stopped at a bus stop. Uh, and I thought, oh, he's, he's getting on the bus. And the bus came and pulled up. And then the bus moved away, and Yerne was still standing there. And I saw Yerne move to another bus stop a bit further down the road. And on the same side, which is a really odd thing to do, because why do that? And another bus came along and pulled up, and the bus moved away, and Yerne was still standing at the bus stop. Uh, and so I asked Chris, I said, what, what's going on with your, your friend? And he said, well, just a few years ago... Um, Yerne's wife and child took a, a bus trip um, to somewhere just outside Ljubljana and, and there was a crash, the bus crashed and they both died and, and now he waits for them to come off the bus and he walks around this whole area of Ljubljana from bus stop to bus stop to bus stop in the hope that his wife and his child will get off the bus so the, the question, I guess, for people like me and people like Chris, and I guess for all of us, is what do we do with that? 
What do we do with things like that? You see, e even if you, you, you pick up this and you look for the answers to deal with that in the moment, in the situation, you ain't going to find it, right? This, this book, the 66 books that make up our, our one magnificent story of God working through the world, it's full of wisdom, cram-packed full of wisdom. Helps us as humans know how to, in some way, negotiate our relationship with God. But it, it's, it's short on answers for everyday stuff. It's not going to help you know which car to buy. It'll just teach you not to thump the guy who sells you it, right? That kind of stuff. What, so what do we do with that, that kind of situation which... Well, in the title of the talk, the word is uncertain, uncertain, not unfaithful. I mean, a situation like that, uh, at best, is uncertain. At worst, it's many other things. It's just downright confusing, right? How, how do we deal with that? How do you deal with um, pain that comes from left field? How, how do you deal with the hurt that hits you all of a sudden? How do you deal with the suffering of a, a loved one that you'd rather not see or witness? How do you deal with a heartache? How do you handle, well, what's going on around the world? The horrors of war. There's always a few wars going on. Some of them hit closer to home. And How do you deal with that? Or, or how... If none of those relate to you, how do you deal with the frequent tensions of not knowingness that happen to you every day? You just, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is going on. In a million years, I never imagined that this could happen. I thought God had me. I thought this was all A-OK. -okay. And then this has happened. How do we deal with that kind of thing? And, and we don't want to be a church uh, that ignores that. Right? Uh, and we don't. That's why so many of us, when we preach, uh, sometimes tell personal stories that aren't so nice. It's why when we have sort of mental health we weekends and well-being weekends, we can get down and dirty. And why when we're discussing with people you know by their bedside or on visits why in those situations you can get into the nitty-gritty and dare say in answer to a question I don't know because uncertainty is very real to different degrees to the kind of degree that I mentioned about Yerne there where there was a you know most of you you sighed uh, and you probably sighed not just because it was a sad story, but some of you sighed because mm, I've been in a situation pretty close to that. Or you know someone who has. Uh, one of my heroes, and I guess one of your heroes, and maybe for younger people, um, maybe not a hero, but an author that they know about, is a gentleman called C.S. Lewis, died a few decades ago now. And he was a, a theologian, and, uh, and a writer, and a professor, of course. His day job was a professor. So he was, he was those uh, three things. 
a very, very wise gentleman. And he, in 1940, wrote a book, a theological book, uh, but also but for the general populace. It wasn't just for Christians or for Bible scholars. He wrote it to be, re to be released to the general population of the UK. And the book was titled, The Problem of Pain. The Problem of Pain. I recommend it to you. Uh, whether you get the paper edition from Waterstones, um, or whether you get the online edition, right? Don't matter. Buy it, The Problem of Pain. It's a wonderful book. He's a magnificent writer. For someone who can write the Chronicles of Narnia and then write something quite deep and meaty, it's a profound thing to be able to do. And he wrote this book, and it's a spectacular book called The Problem of Pain. And, and it links human pain and suffering with the deep wisdom from Scripture. And it is so enlightening. 20 years later, 1960, by this time he had fallen in love and married. And his wife had died. 1960, 20 years later. And he wrote another book afterwards. And it was called A Grief Observed. And it sounds a quite detached title. A grief observed. Really, it was, and he, he wrote it under a pseudonym. Uh, it was only two years later where his name got attached to it. Um, but really, he was talking about his own grief in relation to his wife. And that book is wonderful to read as a companion piece to the first one because it's as if the first book never existed. It's as if the first book never existed. You see, now C.S. Lewis had lost his wife, the love of his life. And all the doctrine and theology and biblical study in the world didn't matter in the moment that he was going through his grief. And the first two-thirds of the book, A Grief Observed, are him floundering around, trying to make sense of the emotions and the feelings he he has and his, his belief in a God and it is full of uncertainty and I recommend that book to you it's not one of his most popular ones but I recommend it to you and he wrestled with pain and he wrestles with hurt and he wrestles with sorrow and then in the last third of the book uh, as you read it, you can see him sort of reaching back. He manages to reach back with the faith he can muster, but still in his uncertainty, right? Full of uncertainty, but still faithful to God. And, and he reaches back and he grasps some of the truths that he talked about 20 years earlier. And he brings them into his present. And he emerges out of that period of his life uncertain, but not unfaithful. Uncertain, but not unfaithful. Uh, what he'd done is he'd embraced mystery. That's what he'd done. He'd embraced the mystery. And I want to underline that because when we think about this journey of 
walking with Jesus and, and we preach about it consistently and the pitfalls of it and, and how you can't escape the real world and, and how you, it, it's not always that you find Jesus and the skies are blue or blue and the grasses are green or green and mm, water's fresher and everything's... No, life carries on. Uh, and, and we have to know... That this journey of Jesus means that we can walk with uncertainty and yet remain faithful to him. Now some of you may be thinking, oh no you can't because I've been told a thousand times somewhere in the Bible uh, that God is not the author of confusion. Um, well I'm not going to talk about that. I said maybe in your small groups look into that. And, uh, and that phrase, that text, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It's to do with a church meeting, right? And so uncertainty, when you read the, the scriptures, when you go through the stories in the Bible, you can find uncertainty from page one right through to the end. And people having to grapple with uncertainty and these ideas, well, I thought God was going to do this. Even the disciples, they thought Jesus was going to do this. And then the plan seemed to change. How do we handle this kind of thing, embracing mystery? What I do know is that there is a truth. And wouldn't it be great if we could all grasp this truth that you find more of God and more of yourself in pain. That's it. It's not going to make it onto a poster, that statement. Okay? You can't imagine anyone pinning it on their wall or above their desk, can you? You'll find more of yourself and more of God in pain. And sometimes when you're in a good place and you think back through your life and you think, when was I closest to God? When did I dig deeper? When did I find out more of his nuances? When did I find out what I was really made of? When did my... When did my friends be able to find the love in themselves to be able to care for me and watch over me? When, when, when did those things advance? And the answer usually is when I was in trouble, when I was in pain, when I was suffering, when I was going through stuff, when I didn't want that to happen, and, the, and it jolly did happen. Uh, and with the benefit of hindsight, we know that kind of thing. And it is true. We find more of God and more of ourselves in pain. And that's because part of our human condition is this. When everything's going really well, we often think we don't need God so much. Which is why Jesus said very truthful but quite cutting things like this. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why does he say things like that? He, he says things because people who recognize they are in need will reach God more. People who think they're all sorted and they've got it all together and life is plain sailing and all hunky-dory at the moment, you think you've got it all sewn up and you tend to forget God's grace and mercy and overlooking of your life. 
So, so let's just accept, if we can, if you're willing to, that actually we do find more of God and we find more of ourselves as we go through these things like hurt and pain and suffering and, and problems and tough times. And I've used the analogy before, it's like grapes. How do you know all the goodness in a grape? You only know because you squeeze it and you break the skin, right? You have to crush a grape to get the goodness out. That's just how it works. You want a glass of wine, you know, pop it and out pour some grapes. Right? Someone, someone's had to smash these things to smithereens to get the wine for you. And that's just like us too. The goodness comes out actually where, when it's been proved, when we're being squeezed, when problems and tough times come. There was an early church father um, from North Africa. It's called Augustine. And he, he said this, God is not the object of of our knowledge but the source of our wonder God is not the object of our knowledge in other words he's not saying God is the one who we just yeah we can figure him out I've got my spreadsheet on God all sorted out I've got my systematic theology all worked out I have figured God out totally here are the ten top doctrines we need to believe if we get them in the right order and remember them and recite them backwards and all that we, we can get it sorted Augustine says no it'll never work it's all good but it'll never work God is not the object of our knowledge but the source of our wonder. In other words, when you come to God, when you come to Christ, there is a sense that the word faith really becomes what it's meant to be. You step into mystery. And Jesus becomes the solid ground. And the things we think we've figured out become like shaky ground. Jesus is the solid thing. He is the source of our wonder. We have to embrace mystery. St. Paul, who wrote, um, as far as the number of books goes in the New Testament, he, he says this uh, in the passage we, we read. Even with prophecy, even with the gifts of the Spirit, and we Pentecostals, we know all about the gifts of the Spirit, even with prophecy, gifts of the Spirit, even with words of knowledge and words of, of wisdom, even with all that going on, even with, even with Scripture available to us, and Paul would have had the Old Testament and scrolls available to him, it is as if we are seeing God through a dirty mirror. We've just read it in 1 Corinthians 13. Let, let's just examine that a bit more. Paul, part of the writer of the New Testament that we say, that we read, and, you, and, and we read him and we think, this guy's got it all together. Oh, if anyone knows God, he knows God. Look what he's written. He says, even with all that going on, even with all this, if you were surrounded by the most spiritually gifted people speaking into your life all the time, it is as if we see God as if looking through a mirror. What do we know about looking through a mirror? The image is reversed okay I mean at best it's reversed right so we see God as if looking through a mirror and that mirror is dull dirty dimmed that's quite a statement let me tell you faith and uncertainty are not enemies faith and uncertainty are not enemies. 
when sometimes people come to me and they say, Russ, I just, I just don't know what to do. I don't, I don't get this. And the, the tendency can be for people to think, well, that means I'm not, I'm not close to God. I'm not, I'm not getting him. I'm not understanding him. I'm not, I'm uncertain. The truth is, that's where we live. That's life. We, we figure things out and we submit them to God and some things we gain clarity on and a lot of things we don't. We remain uncertain about. 1 Corinthians 13 that we read earlier ends with this way. Paul the Apostle says this. Then I will fully know. Then. Everyone say then. What do you think he's talking about when he says then? Not now. Eventually. What does he mean by eventually and then? When do you think he might be talking about? When he meets Jesus. When he meets Jesus. When he meets Jesus, he will fully know, even as I am already. Say already. Already fully know. He, here is a key, right? He's the key for us. When I go through those, those times where I am so uncertain, I have to remember that one day I will fully know. But here's the certain thing. He already fully knows me. Right? I don't know about the thing, but he already knows me. You're going through tough times? You're going through trouble, you're going through pain, you're going through suffering, you know people who are. Look, you may never fully know until the day when all things are made known. But here's one thing I can tell you, is right now you are fully known. I don't know how God does it because he's God, but, but all his attention is able to be on you and be on other people at the same time. You are fully known. Your joys and your sorrows and, and all the nuances in between are fully known. You are not a mystery to him. He is a mystery to you. And he is able to weave the time of your trouble and the time of your struggle into something beautiful. And because we learn something about ourselves and something about him during times of trouble and struggle, it's as if he just adds himself weaves himself into those situations if we're ready for him to. And one of the challenges for Christians, believers, followers of Jesus is this. This is the challenge. That when the tough times come, don't walk away from him. Embrace the uncertainty. Embrace the mystery, but don't do it away from him. Acknowledge it in front of him. Because we don't just submit the things we're sure about to God. Hey God, I'm, I'm getting a new job in Manchester working in insurance for the Manchester police. Uh, I've got the contract. I now submit that to you. Do what you will with me. That's great. We all have areas of, uncert of certainty. But we submit our uncertainty to him. Lord, this, this trauma has just happened and I don't have any answers and the best people around me don't have any answers. Here we go. I submit it to you. One day, I will fully know. But right now, 
you know completely. And, and God comes into that situation and, and he adds to it overtones and undertones and harmonic structures and you grow bigger and you grow stronger and you grow wiser and you emerge out of that situation because there is a resurrection. The sun will rise in the morning. Some people just need to know that right now. The sun will rise in the morning, right? The night shall pass. And when the sun rises, you find that your plain, boring, naked note of a Russ Westfield is suddenly enhanced because God's been at work and you've stayed in the right place for God to be at work and you still emerge uncertain but bigger and better and wiser and more faithful. That great? <clears throat> Jesus says, you always feel on good solid ground when you precede anything you say as a preacher by Jesus says, right? It's, it's one of the surest places you can get to in a sermon. Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you and the Son whom you sent. This is, this is right at the start of a prayer that Jesus prayed. He clearly prayed it within earshot of his disciples. How do we know that? Because someone wrote it down, right? Someone wrote it down. So this isn't a private prayer, or if it was, Jesus was being a bit sneaky. Right? I'm going to do a private prayer, but just within earshot that they can listen in and write it down for people like us to hear. So Jesus prayed to Father, uh, and he's talking about us, and he says, now this is eternal life. That they, they may, they, that's us, may know you and the Son whom you sent. Now, John, who wrote this gospel, he could have chosen up to 15 words for the word know. Right? And most of those words have to do with what we understand as knowledge. The study of something, the working out of something, information, facts, logical thinking. Most of, if I were to say, what do you know about calculus, right? Then you would tell me what you know about calculus, and most of us would go, I haven't the foggiest idea, right? If I would say, what do you know about how this wall is constructed, then maybe a few more people might be able to say, I have knowledge of that. Uh, and John, when he writes this in his gospel and he's quoting Jesus, he doesn't use any word like that. He uses a word, and you're going to have to pardon me just for one minute now. He uses a word in the way that Adam knew Eve and she conceived. Do you know what I'm getting at there? Any children in the room? Yeah, there are children in the room. Some children in the room. Intimately, intimately. Um, my wife and I know each other, right? Okay, and, and do you know where I'm going with this? Okay, the word know, as in if you know, some, know someone, in those, he used that word. Am I making myself, anyone not clear yet where I am? Good, that's wonderful. Okay, so... Look, now this is eternal life, John says. Uh, 
Jesus says, John is quoting, that they may know you. What's that to do with? That they've figured you out, Jesus? No. That they have a deep relationship with you. Now, this is eternal life, that they have a deep, intimate relationship with you and the Son whom you sent. Info, knowledge, is not going to be something that you can stand on through tough times. But knowing Jesus is. And it leads to eternal life, to full life, to rich life, to a life with God's harmonics added in, where you're not just your plain old A, but you're what an A should sound like. Because we were made to be in relationship with God. God has set something within every person in this room. Whether, whether you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, or whether you're not, whether this is your first time in, and you're thinking, I'm just going to try church out, and you don't believe in, in Jesus Christ. God has set something within you which is designed to work best when you are in connection with him, the divine, the one who breathes life and purpose into us. And the truth is this. That we find ourselves and our faithfulness amongst uncertainty. Not when we think we've got the doctrines figured out. Or the five top dogmas that we cling to. But when we, we know him. When we have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Where there is something special between you and him. So let me encourage you, church. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. When the tough times come, and they will, and they do, don't run. Don't run from God. He'll find you anyway. But don't run. You just waste a few years. Why do that? Don't hide, because there's no place he can't see anyway. But don't hide. Stay faithful and bring to him all the uncertainty. And know this, that when you emerge, when the sun rises in the morning, that you still may be uncertain, but you'll still be faithful. So if we take those harmonics <laughs> of the harmonic structure... And uh, the overtones and the, the undertones that are there all the time when you play an A. He, uh, and at the moment, we, we, you could tell the difference between that A that was played on the piano and the, and the boring naked A. You could tell the difference. There was a clear difference. One was really frustrating and annoying. You just want to, I can't stand that much more. And the other one was, it, it was okay. And all those harmonics are there and we can sense them, but we can't hear them. You, do you know, it is possible to play those harmonics louder to because we figured out, we know what notes are in the harmonics and we can actually play those notes and add to them. And I like to think that our relationship with God, when he gets hold of us, is he takes our plain naked KD-ness, our Dina-ness, he takes it, this annoying sound wave that exists and is making our own way through this world and uh, I'm not just saying you're an annoying sound wave Dina, but you know 
you know, he was ears to hear. Anyway, uh, so, <laughs> so, but he takes it and he just wants to add. He just wants to add his, his divinity and say, you are made for this. You are made for me. Let's do this thing together. Let's make the world a better place. Let's reconcile all this so it smells like God. And he adds his harmonics to it. And I like to think, I like to think that it sounds uh, something like this. if we could hear what God was up to through the tough times there was a prophet in the Old Testament he had an assistant and they turned up to a difficult uncertain messy situations messy situation and the servant said I don't know what's going on here and the prophet said Lord just for a minute just for a minute open his eyes you can read about it you find it where it is uh, uh, and the, and the servant saw what he'd not seen before. He saw just some of God's harmonic structure in this troubling, struggling, awful time. And God's at work all the time. And you won't hear him all the time. You won't figure it out all the time. But he's there. And you won't fully know until the then, but he fully knows you now. If we remain faithful, then he is at work. How about everyone just closes their eyes at the moment? I do just want to acknowledge that there may be people here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You haven't got a relationship with him like I... I talked about earlier. You maybe know facts and information and dates and you've read some of the holy scriptures and you, you know that kind of thing, but you've not had a relationship with him in the way that Jesus said, now this is eternal life that they may know you and the son whom you sent. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.